was about eight to ten years old, I think. Mom, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when I asked Jesus to be my, my Savior, I was a little boy. Somewhere around then, I can't remember the, the exact age. But between that time and probably about the age of 27, uh, I never really surrendered my life uh, to Jesus. And my life reflected it for all those, all those years. Uh, I never stopped believing. I would uh, remember in college um, being drunk, sometimes high, and arguing with my friends <laughs> who, didn't, who didn't believe in God. Uh, and who didn't believe in Christ, and, and getting into arguments with them, and, and getting upset and defensive. Um, but I never really had surrendered my life uh, to the Lord. In fact, I don't think I really understood, uh, and that's my fault, but I don't think I really understood uh, what all salvation entailed. I understood that I was forgiven for my sins, but um, I didn't walk in victory over those sins. I wasn't living this new life, right? We talked about in baptism, we said that you're baptized, your, your old life dies, and then you come up, uh, represents coming up a new, a new creation. And so I wasn't walking in victory. Then between the years, when I was about 27 years old, till about 38, I'm 45 right now, I'm not sure I understood how much that I could allow either my broken past or my current identity in Jesus Christ to define who I was in, in the present. And so what I mean is I still had these blind spots in my life that I was allowing to control and, and dictate my life. And so these are the stages of my walk with Christ, right? Uh, I accepted him as, as my savior. I wasn't really walking in victory. And then I had this moment when I was 27 uh, years old um, where I had to confess some stuff. And, and I had this experience with God where I, I felt this weight lifted off of my shoulders. And uh, that was a new, a new day for me, a new era where I like just surrendered to the Lord and, and started following after him. But then I still had these areas of my life. I really didn't understand. I, even at that point, I don't think I fully understood my identity in Jesus Christ. And so I had these blind spots. And where I'm at now is I'm still walking and understanding more and more who I am in Jesus. That's a journey for me, realizing who I am and who, who Christ says I am, while at the same time, I'm still learning to keep in step with, with that reality of who Jesus says that I am. It's like the Apostle Paul, he says in, in uh, Philippians 3, Paul says, not that I have already obtained or am already perfect. And what he means obtained, uh, that he hasn't obtained uh, perfection. He hasn't pertained, he uh, uh, He hasn't obtained heaven, right? He hasn't obtained that day that we are made uh, completely whole in the resurrection of, of the dead, right? We're completely uh, renewed body, mind, and, and, and spirit. And so Paul says, not that I've already gotten there yet or I've already been made perfect, but what I do is I press on 
to make it my own. So I'm intentionally moving forward in, in my journey with Christ because he says, the reason I can do this, the reason I can keep running the race and moving forward is because Jesus has already made me his own. You know what that means? That's that identity that I was, that I was missing in my life, that I am already a child of God, that I am already not only forgiven, but I'm already a new creation. I'm God's saint. I'm his holy one, right? And so I already belong to Jesus so that I can keep pursuing without condemnation, right? And in strength and in power, I can keep looking forward to Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. Verse 13, he says, I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. And so what does he mean by that? He already belongs to Jesus, right? But again, he hasn't already, he hasn't obtained that perfection, right? He hasn't been raised from the dead, right? So he keeps those things in tension, of who he already is in Jesus Christ, and that allows him to keep pressing forward until he sees that glory. Does that make sense? Show me a confused look if you don't understand as I'm talking this morning, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and explain it a little better. But one thing I do, Paul says, I forget what lies behind. I drop it like a weight, right? I continue to just release those things, and I keep straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We've been in Romans, not today. We've been in Romans, and we're getting ready as we keep uh, going along further in, in Romans as we finish out chapter 5, going into 6, 7, and, and 8. We're getting ready to discuss how, how this sin problem has infected humanity. It's spread from Adam and and, and like a disease, like a virus. It has infected all of of humanity. And then we're going to discuss how Jesus, he solved this disease, right? He solved this sin problem by his death, burial, and resurrection. He overcame sin and how his resurrected life, that life that he has, right? Because Paul said, and in, in, in last time we were in Romans, he says, we're not only saved by his death, we're saved by his life. Jesus was raised and exalted, right? And now he's poured out his spirit upon us who call upon his name, and the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us. And this resurrected Christ, Jesus' life in us, it empowers us to do the same, to walk in victory. That's where we're going in Romans. But today... We're going to take a closer look at the two forces that are vying for our allegiance. Those two forces are what the Bible calls the flesh and the spirit, meaning the capital S spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the victory that we have over the flesh as we learn to walk by God's, by God's spirit. So let's take a look at Galatians chapter 5. Hope that kid's okay. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to look at 16 through 26. You can follow along in your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen as well. No, it won't be on the screen. Sorry. Good. Open your Bibles. You need to open your Bibles. (laughs) Paul says this, he says, verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Remember, Holy Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, the law was that law of Moses that, that people would try and, and obey, and they weren't empowered by the Spirit. That's why they needed the gospel. That's why the gospel had to happen. They weren't empowered uh, by the Spirit, and so they found themselves under condemnation because they could not keep God's law. But when we're led by the Spirit, we are freed from the law. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's what Paul is saying. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. There's sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. So, there's two things we want to look at here this morning. What we call the flesh and what we call the Holy Spirit. The flesh is walking in our own natural resources apart from God. We were meant to walk with God. Adam and Eve, the first two humans, were created to walk with God. God walked with them. And so we are, we are, we are uh, created to walk in step with God's, God's spirit. So when we walk, it, when, when the Bible talks about us walking in the flesh, it's when we're walking in our own natural resources apart from God, with the absence of God. Because Paul says he also lives in his, the life I live in the flesh, I will live in obedience to Jesus Christ. So we can live, you know, our, our flesh is defined as, as our, our natural self, Right? But when we're, when we're said to be in the flesh, it's when we're walking in those natural resources apart from God, in our natural self apart from God. And the Spirit is, when we're walking in the Spirit, it's because we're walking by the Spirit of God as we were created to. And I'll throw in as we were redeemed to, as, as believers. So before Jesus Christ, we could only walk by our natural resources. We weren't walking with God. And the problem was, is that, 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 that natural self, apart from Christ, we are still enslaved to sin. The Bible calls it our old self. We were walking in our, in our old self, apart from Christ, walking in our own resources. And so as believers, we received the Holy Spirit. And now, as Paul said in the, in the passage we just read, uh, we've received the Spirit, and he says that our old self has been crucified. So that, that flesh apart from God, that has been crucified. Our old ways that was enslaved to sin, that has been crucified. It has been nailed to the cross and died with Jesus. Now, so here's the thing. Even as believers, the Bible says that we still live in these jars of clay, these, these uh, corruptible bodies that we, still, that we still 
uh, walk in. Each, each one of us, we're all decaying and we're going to, to die eventually. And these jars of clay are still susceptible to sin. There's a difference between being enslaved to sin and being in bondage to sin and being susceptible to sin. We're all, everyone here, even as believers, we're susceptible to sin. But whether you realize it or not, whether you know it or not, you are not enslaved to sin. So when believers, when we as believers, when we walk in the flesh, what we're doing is we're returning to those old mindsets that we had before, before we were saved. That wasn't me. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. When, when believers walk in the flesh, we're returning to those old mindsets, to those old ways of being, those ways that we walked before we knew Jesus. It, it's those ways, those old mindsets that God says we have victory over through spiritual regeneration when you became born again, when you became born of the Holy Spirit. Dr. Craig Keener, he says, he says this, he says, and this is important to understand, the body is not evil, okay? So there's a difference between your body being corruptible and it actually being uh, uh, evil. He says the body is not evil, but if its desires rather than God's spirit dominates our lives, humans will gravitate to the power of sin. Does that make sense? The body is not evil, but if its desires rather than God's spirit dominates our lives, humans will gravitate to the power of sin. So when we're not walking in God's spirit, we gravitate towards the power of sin. He goes on to say, he says, sarx, that's the Greek uh, word for flesh in your Bibles where you see the word flesh. Sarx is not inherently evil, but as human weakness, it is susceptible to sin. That's why we're jars of clay right? We're still walking in weak bodies that are susceptible to sin. So when we are tempted, what happens is our fleshly autopilots are triggered. So let's peel back the onion a little bit here and get some insight to what tra- uh, triggers rather our, uh, our passions of the flesh. It's called anxiety. Anxiety, by definition, it's an intense emotional energy that's triggered within us. It's an intense emotional energy that's triggered in us. And anxiety can lead us to all kinds of things, all kinds of ways that we don't, that we don't want to be. We, it can lead us to uh, uh, forms of anger uh, or or, you know, we think about when somebody gets triggered, they think about, you know, we, we get angry. But it can also be depression. It can be fear. It can be, uh, it can be numbing. Like, when, you know, when you're stressed out and you just want to be on your phone or play video games or do drugs or whatever it is. Anything you're doing to escape that feeling, you're not wanting to face that intense feeling, that intense anxiety that you're going through in the moment. Anything you do, it could be watching TV, whatever it is, you're trying to escape and not think about it and, and suppress it. Uh, that's called numbing. You're, you're numbing it. You're trying to numb that feeling that you're, that you're having. Um, disengaging. So some people, they press in. Some people, you know, back off. And so those are all forms of anxiety. So what I want you to understand too is anxiety is something, isn't something that only some people deal with. That's one of the misnomers about anxiety. People think, well, 
that person has anxiety attacks, they have high anxiety issues. Yeah, there's different levels that we all deal with anxiety, but as human beings, we all deal with anxiety. It's part of being human. Anxiety is not worry, but worry is a form of anxiety. That's what Philippians 4, 6-7, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anxiety itself is not a sin. Anxiety is not a sin. In fact, uh, both Jesus and Paul um, had, at times, anxiety. They dealt with anxiety. Mark 14, remember when Jesus, before he was about to be crucified, he went off into the garden to pray. He brought uh, John, Peter, uh, and James with him. And in Mark 14, it says, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Those are other words for anxiety. He was feeling, he was feeling anxious about what was about to, to come upon him. That is a form of anxiety. Again, anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety itself is not a sin. There's forms of anxiety and what it leads to that lead us into sin. So that distress and anxious uh, and, and troubledness is a form of anxiety. Paul had anxiety for the churches. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. And apart from other things, Paul says, there's this daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches. Some of your translations may say, all oh, my, my cares for the churches. That care that, that um, is a form of, of healthy anxiety that he was having for the churches. But I think it's in Peter where it says, cast all your anxieties on the Lord. Some of your translations say cares there too. Cast all your cares upon the Lord. Again, there's, there's form, just because you have anxiety doesn't mean you're in sin. To, anxiety is a part of, of um, being human. In fact, there's, there's healthy and unhealthy anxiety. There's what we call acute and chronic anxiety. And so acute anxiety is, is you know, somebody pulls a gun, you know, puts a gun to your head and your fight or flight response, you know, or, or you, or you hear, hear your son or daughter uh, fall in the other room or the shower, you know, and you, you immediately, your brain will, however it works within, you know, milliseconds, you're off and running <laughs> to check on your child. That's acute anxiety. That's good anxiety. That's something God gave us. Like, we got to be careful when we think of, of uh, fear. We're told not to fear. And my shirt came unbuttoned. Uh, and that's I'm gonna, that's going to bug me. Um, see, it's going to give me anxiety, but I got to learn to manage that anxiety and ignore it. And I'll just unbutton the other one so I won't so I won't be focused on it, and my OCD won't kick in. There we go. Now I'm free. <laughs> hey, but that is a form of anxiety right there. Um, you're dealing with it all the time. You don't realize. Some of you don't realize. You don't. You haven't. You don't have the awareness of what's what's going on. Um, but your your kid falls in the shower, and and your brain immediately has you into fight or flight. Like we got to be careful. Like we think of the Bible says not to fear, right? And so we think we we make it a blanket, just like don't be anxious about anything, right? We th- oh well, anxiety must be bad. It must be evil. Or we say we're told not to fear. Oh well, fear all forms of fear are, are wrong. No, when you 
I've said this before. When you see a bear in the woods, it's good to fear. God gave us that fear to put us into action. Does that make sense? So we should not fear the things of this world that cause us to function in unhealthy ways and cause us to function in sin. But we are given a healthy fear and we're given a healthy anxiety by the Lord. It's called our fight or flight response. But the problem is, is there's this thing called chronic anxiety that we all deal with, and it mimics acute anxiety. It, it mimics it. And so uh, what chronic anxiety is doing, it's hearing either, it, it's hearing a threat or a lie. Well, actually, it is a lie, whether it's a threat or whatever. It's, 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 it's hearing these lies, and it's wanting to react in the same way. So here's the thing. When your chronic anxiety is triggered, if we choose to walk by the flesh, we will do things either, A, that we don't want to do or that we were not created to do. We will not walk in the Spirit. We will do these things. We will react to those perceived threats or believe those lies, and we will function like that. So walking by the Spirit is something that we intentionally do. We have to be intentional about. So, again, everyone deals with anxiety, and as believers, you're still susceptible to chronic anxiety and its, uh, its harmful effects. But here's the thing, and this is what I want to drive home this morning. You, not, you, you also have the power to not only manage it, but to walk in victory over it. I'm going to try and go through these quickly. Here's eight examples of people who were triggered in, in the Bible. Cain and Abel. Remember that story? They both had made an offering to God. The Bible doesn't tell us why uh, Cain's, um, uh, his offering was not accepted, but we trust the Lord. And uh, although the details aren't written down, his heart wasn't in it or something was going on there because we know the Lord, if you come to him with an honest heart, he's not going to turn you away. So something was going on with, with Cain and his, his offering was not accepted, but his brother's was. Guess what? Cain got triggered. And he got jealous of his brother, and he got upset. In fact, God uh, called him on it. God says in Genesis 4, 6, says, The Lord said to Cain, Hey, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, here's the thing, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must, you must rule over it. But he doesn't. He gets triggered. He gets anxious. He gets bitter. He lets it build up, and he murders his brother. And he's still triggered and defensive when, the, when God calls him on, on it a second time. He's like, hey, where's your brother at? Like, hey, am I my brother's keeper? Mary and Martha is another example. Remember uh, the two sisters, and they had Jesus over at the house, and and uh, Martha is sitting at Jesus' feet, and she's listening with everybody else. And, and Mary, she's in there um, serving everybody, preparing the house, getting the house cleaned up and ready, working in the kitchen, whatever it is. Um, probably upset with her sister because she believed a woman's place was to be doing all those things when all the men sat and learned. Well, you know, here her sister is, is not helping her out. And so Mary gets triggered. No, Martha gets triggered, I'm sorry. And uh, 
she wants Jesus to, to deal with it. She wants Jesus to tell Mary her place and get her uh, to help. What does Jesus say? He says, no, she's chosen the right, the right thing. It's another example, example of somebody being triggered. Peter with John. Remember, uh, after the resurrection, Peter is walking with Jesus. He's just restored him after he denied him three times. And he's told him, hey, I still want you to shepherd my sheep. You know, I'm going to use you. And uh, he says, but also, you know, he, he gives him a hint about how he's going to die, how he's going to glorify him uh, in his death. And uh, Peter, meanwhile, he gets triggered when he looks at John. He's like, well, you know, what about this guy? I don't know if there's some kind of competitive thing going on there with the, those two or, or what. But his anxiety is triggered, and, and he starts comparing himself to John. And Jesus says, hey, man, stay in your own lane. Just worry about you and my relationship with you. Stop comparing yourself to, to other people. Then Peter with the Jews. Poor Peter. He's one of my favorite characters, though. Characters, people. He's not just a character in a story. He's a... Um, remember, Peter, with the Gentiles, he expressed his freedom. He was a Jew, right? He came to know Christ, and he realized his freedom from the things of, of the law and stopped practicing a lot of the traditions and stuff like that. And uh, so he's hanging out with the Jews, and meanwhile, I mean the Gentiles, and meanwhile the Jews show up, and he starts acting differently. He starts acting like he doesn't have those freedoms, and he starts pressuring uh, uh, the Gentiles to do uh, likewise. He got, he got triggered, and he stopped being himself, right? He stopped walking in the truth. He was afraid of what the Jews might think. And so Paul calls him on it, right, and tells him he's being, he's being a hypocrite. Elijah with, uh, with Jezebel, I think Luke told this story a couple weeks ago. Elijah has this great victory. God had, had, had come through in a huge way. And then all of a sudden, Jezebel starts breathing threats. And I think uh, Luke had pointed out that he, you know, Elijah thought he, he had victory and everything was going to be, you know, downhill from there. But now he's being threatened with death by Jezebel and his anxiety gets triggered. And he's afraid that God's not going to have his back. And he wants to die. The Pharisees with Jesus. Jesus uh, preaches the gospel. Um, he, he performs these works and, and miracles, and their anxiety gets triggered because this gospel is the fulfillment of their whole system that they've ever known, and they feel threatened uh, by that. And so they end up wanting to kill him. Jonah and the Ninevites. I think there's another story, actually, Luke uh, told couple of weeks ago. I'm telling all your stories, Luke. Um, remember, he was told to preach to the Ninevites. He didn't want to preach to them. Jonah didn't. He didn't like the Ninevites. They were godless people, but they, he, he preaches to them, and they end up repenting. And that triggers Jonah. He doesn't like it. His sense of justice rises up, and he grows bitter, and he pouts. And then there's so many other, um, I had to erase some. I had a, a, a bunch of examples here. David with Bathsheba. He sees, uh, he, he should have been uh, off with his soldiers and he stayed behind in Jerusalem. He sent them off to battle and he stays behind. He's hanging out on the balcony and he sees uh, Bathsheba and she's naked. She's taking a bath and uh, his anxiety's triggered. I don't know what was going on there. 
uh, was it, you know, because I know uh, getting into things like sexual lust, it can be, it can be stress, it can be power, control, it can be aff- needs for affirmation, it can just be this sexual urge and you think you're believing the lie that you have to, to satisfy that urge, you know, right then and there. I don't know what was going on inside of David, but it led to an affair. And then later, it just snowballed and it led to the murder of her husband to cover it up. Basically, chronic anxiety makes you stupid. It makes you stupid when, it, when, it, when it's triggered and, and we, we succumb to it. And that's the reason walking in the spirit, it takes intentionality because when we, when we default to those old autopilots, it just makes us, it makes us animalistic. It makes us, un, I would say, unhuman. It makes us stupid. Here's some of the fruits of, uh, of chronic anxiety which I uh, believe uh, lead to walking in the flesh. Conflict. Uh, conflict is, is uh, so remember you got your fight or flight response. So in chronic anxiety, it would be, uh, it would be fight. It would be uh, dominating, uh, getting argumentative, uh, that need to be right, right? Um, being defensive, that's when your anxiety is, is leading you into, into uh, conflict. Or flight. That's the distancing, uh, avoiding people, um, not letting people in. You ever known somebody who, you know, they're good at chit-chat and, and doing all that stuff, but they never let anybody get too close to them? Uh, cut off. You ever known somebody, or maybe you have, you're always cutting people out of your lives? And we think that's healthy, but really it's not healthy when you have a habit of just cutting people off. We got to learn to stay connected and, and learn to... Manage if we're going to walk in Christ, we got to learn to manage that, right? To not put our light under a basket by just cutting off everybody around us, we got to learn to to walk in that. Keeping people at arm's length—that's a form of distancing. There's overfunctioning and underfunctioning. Um, when you overfunction, it's like uh, giving advice when it's not asked for. Fixing other people is a form of overfunctioning. Uh, Doing for others what they should be doing for themselves. That's the difference between helping somebody out, right? And, and, and out of our own willingness, we want to we help people or whatever. But when you're enabling, you're constantly doing for other people what they, they could very well do, do for themselves. It's a form of overfunctioning. Um, enabling, uh, being responsible for people instead of to people. We're all called to be responsible to people but taking responsible for them, for their actions, for their decisions, that's not healthy. Talking more than listening is a form of overfunctioning. Underfunctioning, always asking for advice and not thinking for yourself. Now, there's nothing wrong with advice. In fact, I have a thing, you know, big important decisions. I usually like to contact two or three wise men in my life, godly men, um, to, to ask for advice. Proverbs talks for advice. But there, this is someone who's not ever thinking for themselves. Uh, never helping is a form of underfunctioning. Um, letting others do everything for you. Never having a voice or opinion. Right? Some people demand to be heard. Others will never voice their opinion. That's a form of underfunctioning. Um, being irresponsible, just floating along through life. And then triangling, it's roping in a third person. Gossip is a form of triangling. Uh, having an affair is a form of triangling. Focusing uh, on a child to the neglect of a marriage is a form of, uh, of, of triangling. 
It's putting the focus on a third party, roping in a third party to alleviate the anxiety that you're, that you're uh, struggling with or not wanting to deal with. But we as believers, I love Romans 8, 1 and 2, two of my favorite passages. We have two powerful tools in Romans 8, 1 and 2. One is the remission of sins, right? I talked about that earlier, like how at first in my journey, I, I got the, the remission of, of sins, but I didn't get the second part. And, and that first part is there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And it's important that we're able to understand that as we walk and we mess up and, and stuff. Is, is I'm always reminding myself when, when, when I screw up in some way, Scott, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Get back up. Get back up. There's no condemnation. And the second thing is not only that, but we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The law, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Jesus promised that... Um, uh, when he ascended into heaven, he was going to pour out his spirit on his disciples, and they would be empowered to be his witnesses all over the earth. We have the freedom in Jesus Christ through no condemnation and the empowerment of the spirit to learn to walk in the spirit without fear of condemnation. So we got to learn to recognize our triggers to sin. Learn to recognize your triggers to sin. I call it, uh, I call it getting up on the, on the balcony, being, being curious about what is it that, that is triggering me. So when, when I'm feeling the urge or I have screwed up in, in some way, when I've crossed the line into, into sin or not showing up some way that I want to, I've learned to uh, hop up on the balcony and I say, what's going on there, Scott? God, why did I behave that way? What was, what was going on? Why am I acting that way? And so I ask God, and I, stay, I make, it, make it a point to stay curious. And that's why I say it's important in this step to realize that we're not under condemnation. Because if, if, if you condemn yourself, what's going to creep in is what we call shame. It's going to say, man, how worthless are you? Look at you. What kind of Christian are you? Just screwing up again, right? And that, that's not going to push you forward in, in victory. So I stay curious, I ask God what's going on there, and uh, I get curious about uh, what I do when anxiety is present. What do I do when I go on autopilot? Think about that. When you go on autopilot, think about the times here lately that you've shown up in a way that, that you didn't want to, or like God, the, the, the God wouldn't want to. What was going on there? And, and, and what, what do you tend to do when, when, you, get, when you get triggered? Do you, do you tend to dominate? You tend to uh, argue. You tend to uh, retreat, right? Do you want to be alone and away from everybody else? You get quiet, right? Some people get quiet. See, some people when they get triggered, they just you'll, in the conversation they'll just they'll just shut up. They won't they won't talk anymore. They may grind their teeth or something, you know. Um, you interrupt. You overexplain, like you feel like you see. It's one of my things. I feel like I have a need to be understood, and I start over over explaining myself. It's 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 anxiety, and I'm reacting to that anxiety. I think Luke, you talked this morning about comparison and stuff like that. You know, we we all have different ways, and maybe it's multiple of these at different times, depending on the situation. Maybe you get defensive, and so here's here's how we begin to walk in victory over our triggers. The first thing is is stop. And that comes with being aware of, of being triggered, being aware when you're showing up in ways that, that God hasn't called you to. 
right? And so now when I start to do that, when I start to just react and start to act stupid or whatnot, is I just, just in my mind is like, you know, somebody says something that triggers me, that offends me or, or whatever, or sets me off in my mind. And when I start to feel that, I'm just like, stop. And then I listen to the Holy Spirit. So you stop yourself from reacting, listen to the Holy Spirit, be curious. God, what's the lie that I'm believing right now? What's, what's, what's wanting to set me off? Peter says, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 8, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So stop and listen to the spirit. Stop listening to the lie and take responsibility. Be honest, be courageous. Remember, it's important, there's no condemnation. You have the freedom to do so. You can take responsibility. Take responsibility for your actions. Confess it. If you need to repent, repent. But take ownership of it. And then, define yourself. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. That's what, that's what I consider def- defining myself, right? I am de- dead to sin. That's who I am. And I am alive in Jesus Christ. And then, from there, you just practice showing up differently. And trust in the Holy Spirit. So you stop, you repent of that, and you define yourself differently and you move forward. Does that make sense? Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul says, as long as we're walking by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So you want to break it down, keep your eyes on Jesus, right? And that Spirit, His Holy Spirit, dwells within you. And if you learn to walk in step with the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's the thing. We cannot do this work without two things. I mentioned them earlier. We can't do this without the remission of sins, right? We need to be forgiven. We need to be set free. And we need the life of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. Because what's it called when you're doing it on your own? Walking in the flesh. And what is that susceptible to? If you're walking in the flesh, which Christ says, he defines you as your flesh has been crucified. Been done away with, it's dead, right? And he says, consider it dead. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Jesus Christ. And so if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of of the flesh. So we need two things. We need the remissions of sins and we need the life in the spirit. We need the gospel. That's what we need. So I don't believe, I don't, I, I wholeheartedly don't believe this cannot be done effectively um, without the gospel. You may make some progress in the flesh, but to walk in true victory, we need, we need the gospel. We need Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 8 through 11, Paul says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Why do you think that is? What's that? 
It's contrary. Yeah. You're, that means you are not walking in the spirit. If you're walking in the flesh, you're walking in your own resources. You're not walking, you're not walking by the spirit of God. And that means you, you, you're not practicing faith in that moment. And so without faith, it says in another place, it is impossible to please God. So Paul says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So that, that's the cool thing. Is like, can Scott, can I like get in my flesh? Yeah, I can go do something in my flesh, but God says, but you're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. So I'm already, it's kind of like what Paul was talking about earlier. I already belong to Christ so that I can continue pursuing. It's like, I am already in the spirit as a believer. I am in the spirit. That's just who I am. I'm in the spirit. I am not in the flesh. So it's asinine to not walk in the spirit, but rather walk in the flesh. We were already in the spirit, so walk in the spirit. You, however, Paul says, you are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. I think that's the gut check, right? Is, does the spirit of God dwell within me? Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, so we still have these weak, right, bodies that we reside in until the resurrection, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's the spirit of God, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What's that, that uh, Jeremy Camp song? Same power, rose Jesus from the dead. It's, he's in us. He's in us right now. And he gives us, that's what I'm talking about, that resurrection life of Jesus. is not just something we will receive in the future. It is something that dwells within us now. We've been given life. And life isn't just eternal life as in time-wise. It's eternal life as in abundant life. It's, it's, it's the fully alive life of Jesus Christ indwelling us. So one last summary as we close. Because Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Again, I think this is another statement of what he said in, in Philippians. All right? You already live by the Spirit. You, that's, that's who you are, right? If you live by the Spirit, keep in step with that. Does that make sense? So it's something we already are, but it's something that we need to intentionally do. Say, if I am this, then I need to do that. If I am this, then I need to do that. If I am in the Spirit, I need to keep in step with the Spirit. That's why one of our, our values at the Haven is intentionality. That's not works-based, right? That's not earning, right? But we believe in being, in, we're, we're intentionally living the Christian life. It's not just something that happens by accident. We're intentional. We're intentionally walking in the Spirit. We're intentionally looking to surrender our lives to Christ as we walk in the Spirit. We're intentional. We're intentional about living our lives for Jesus. We're intentional about sharing the gospel. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And it goes like this. It's just another summary of what we've already said. Recognize your old patterns or what they are, die to them, because that's not who you are. 
then embrace who you are in Jesus Christ, and then walk in that. Embrace who you are, and then walk in it. Amen? Amen. Worship team, you can come on up. Let's go back to my journey. Where are you at in yours? I'd like to save you some, some time. <laughs> you know, mine took me, took me years from, you know, point A to just realizing I was for, uh, forgiven from my sins, but, but not walking in the power of the Spirit, right? And then, as a believer, not realizing that I still had these, these blind spots that God wanted me to recognize and, and to surrender to Him. And I just want to encourage you, believers, like, Bible says that if anyone says they're without sin, they're a liar and the truth isn't in them, right? So we know that we're all sinners, right? But we're not called to dwell in that. Does that make sense? Like some people wallow in their sin and then some people pretend they don't have sin. And we're called to hold the tension is like, no, we have victory over sin, We're defined, as we always say, we're defined as saints and not as sinners. We have victory over sin, and we can walk. And there's a difference between that and having some kind of, like, view that that we no longer sin. I mean, both are a dangerous, very dangerous place to be, right? If you wallow in your sin, you're nothing more than just some forgiven, uh, you know, the gospel just slapped a Band-Aid on it, basically, and then over here, you get into a place where you, you may be walking in an area of sin, but you're ignoring it because you don't sin anymore. And so those, those blind spots can start creeping up all over the place. We have no awareness. And so we need to be like Paul, right? I don't consider that I've already obtained. I'm still pursuing it. But you know what? Christ has already made me his own. I know who I am in Jesus. And I know I have victory in Jesus. So I know that I have victory, so I'm pursuing victory. I know I have victory, so I'm pursuing victory. An old analogy I used to use is like, and I know Mike Tyson is old, but like back in the day when I was younger, he was the man. <laughs> he would knock you out in less than a round. I mean, he could knock you out in 20 seconds. It's like if somebody told me to get into the ring with Mike Tyson, and said, I promise you, if you'll just get in there, the victory is already yours. You're going to win. It's already a done deal. I saw it with my time machine. You're already, <laughs> you're going to win. Victory is yours. It's guaranteed, but you got to get in the ring and fight. It's the way Christian life is. Victory is already ours. That's what the gospel is. Like it's, it's already ours. And that's so cool. That's, that's what gave Paul his fuel. That's what filled him with joy and peace and purpose. It's because he knew who he was. And he knew where he was going. Just like Jesus when he served others. He knew who he came from. He knew who he was. And that set him free to serve in this world. Instead of following after the things of this world, it'll, it'll change who we are. It'll change our perspectives. Knowing who we are allows us, it frees us to pursue them. So where are you at on your journey? I encourage you, 
God has got so much more in store from you for you than than you just being forgiven of your sins. And that's super important. That's the first step. He wants to empower you to walk this life. And he's given you the power. We just have to tap into it. We just have to we just have to realize it. And some of you you may be you may be tempted even as I say that is like, man, I'm not I'm not walking in that, you know? And now you now now shame is coming all over you and you're thinking, "Man, I just what's wrong with me? I haven't been living this life." I encourage you, don't do that. Don't do that. And God is gentle with you. He loves you. He meets you where you're at. He knows where you're at. It's a journey. This message isn't to shame you and say, how dare you? What kind of Christian are you? That's a lie. That's the lie that you believe that keeps you where you're at. All I'm asking you to do is to start embracing that I am a new creation. I am a child of God. As that song says, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And God, when I mess up, I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to get up. And I promise you, if you start walking like that, and again, I'm on the journey. Luke, thank you so much for sharing this morning where you're, you know, where you're struggling with some weak areas. We're there too. We're, we're walking that out with you. You know what I mean? But if you have that, that attitude and that perspective, that's when, that's when, not that all things aren't possible for God, but that's when God has something to work with. Does that make sense? When we surrender that to, to the Lord and, and we're just these open vessels, that's when he can take those jars of clay and he can start molding something with it. So I say for me, it's, it's not downplaying, you know, there are chemical imbalances and, 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 and different uh, reasons for, for depression. But for Scott, for Scott, when I'm depressed, it's usually I've, I've got some perspective that I need to, to work out. And I'm learning not to shame myself, you know, because God doesn't shame me. I learned to be curious. What's going on? What's going on with Scott? Again, I'm talking about Scott. Some of you maybe, you know, maybe you're taking medication or, or, or whatever. That's not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about talking about Scott and usually it's it's something I'm believing some lie and I have some faulty perspective and and rather than shame myself I'm learning to step back and say man what's what's going on well where's this what's the root of this you know and then when God shows it to me you know I can either repent Luke talked about gratitude this morning Start telling the Lord what I'm thankful for, and it starts putting my, you know, my life in into perspective, and, and then things start, things start to change. Maybe I think about, maybe I think about Paul. Maybe I think about my heavenly inheritance, the kingdom that I'm going to inherit. Maybe I think about how God works all things out for the good, how He's got my back. I got to think about how he's never left me or, or forsaken me. There's a bunch of things I think through, you know, to 
get my focus back on him.